Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Today is, what is today, Rion? December 20th, 2022. And I want to just tell you a quick story. I think it was July 8th, 2014. It was over eight years ago now. I was sat in my aunt's house watching Argentina play Germany in the World Cup final. And it was maybe the 90th, 91st minute. And Gonzalo Higuain had just missed the chance of a lifetime for Argentina to win the World Cup. And I never thought that I would recover from that point to see Lionel Messi win a World Cup. I, re I really never thought it. I certainly didn't think so after 2018. It's funny how life works and it's funny how time shifts and circumstances happen because we're sitting here in the year of our Lord, 2022 on December 20th of that year. And Lionel Messi has won the FIFA men's world cup. Wow. I can't believe I've said those words. And, uh, quite honestly, I just got my voice back <laughs> from the final. Like I told you, this is why we couldn't <laughs> talk yesterday. Um, just, I'm still processing it. Just processing the whole World Cup, everything that happened. But most importantly, let me ask you a question. How are you? How was is, how is your rest of the World Cup? I feel like I'm doing pretty good, but I honestly know that I can't be feeling any better than you did on Sunday, at least. That is true. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe in like the 12 to 18 hours afterwards and potentially even right now. Um, <laughs> but oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I feel like I got to watch possibly the best, I mean, not even just best soccer game, but potentially best sporting game I've ever seen on Sunday. And, uh, and then, I mean... And we'll talk a lot more about that later, but like, I'm feeling pretty great. Feeling pretty great. Um, it's almost it's almost uh, Christmas time, which I know that you always the holiday love. season, <laughs> and we're coming to the end of the year in in general, so it means time to relax. And yeah, I, I I am happy that I get to relax, unlike all the players that just played in the World Cup, <laughs> who are coming back and immediately have to start working again. True. <laughs> True. But, Can't you know, imagine yeah, no doing complaints. that. <laughs> good, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I I really hope some of these players get a chance to, like, take Christmas with their families and their significant others and, like, just rest for at least a week because it's crazy to me that – is it next weekend that games restart, like, right after – there's, there's there's League Cup. There's a the League Cup games in England tomorrow start. Oh my <laughs> and, god! And then the, the Premier League is back on on uh, the weekend. Oh, because I guess the Boxing Day games, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> well, it was a short break <laughs> for some people. I mean, I would hope that <laughs> players like uh, McAllister and Emmy Martinez at least get like a one week break somewhere in here but again yeah that's not Romero as well yep that's true um i i i doubt it but one can hope but rian we have to talk about the world cup final the 2022 world cup final 
this, to your point, might be one of the best sporting games that I've ever watched. And I think we've always been under, under the impression that finals are like these semi-boring occasions where teams really just don't want to go for the win out of fear of losing the game. But I think from the first minute onwards, and honestly, I'll say this, I'll say from about an hour and a half before the game, I had a feeling something like this was coming, not to this magnitude, but not a boring game was coming. And I think it started with Scaloni's lineup, starting Di Maria and playing a front three, when for at least half this tournament, he's played some sort of 4-4-2 or 5-3-2 for Argentina. And seeing him start with a front three in which Di Maria was included, that to me was like, okay, Argentina are going to go for this for this game they're really gonna go for the win how did you uh how'd you feel walking into this were you well i know i know where your money lied but how are you feeling about (laughs) the odds yes yes uh i was i was feeling (laughs) like you know i i really needed this result to go one way for me (laughs) to come out of this tournament in the green But, but um no no i think i felt not surprised that di maria came in right but because his track record in these games specifically um uh, like big games is like just totally unrivaled like like almost completely unrivaled you can't really yeah. think of more than, like you can't count more players on one hand than Di Maria <laughs> when you're thinking of like players that you put them into a very, very big game uh, where the stakes are at their highest and you, you need them to perform. Like he, he's the guy, he's one of those guys. Right. Uh, but I think, I guess the only su- surprise was kind of like where he was going to play. Um, you know, he, he, was in the lineup and you would expect him to play on the right, right? Because that's normally where he plays left footed. Um, everyone loves an inverted winger, but he actually ended up playing on the left in this game. And that was, that was a surprise to me. Um, but kind of going back to your talk about Scaloni and like the formations that he's used in this tournament, he's been totally malleable. Like, honestly, like it's, it's, like you said, we've, he's playing at the five, uh, three at the back against the Netherlands. They played pretty much four midfielders against uh, Croatia. And then in this game, they play Di Maria out on the left. And in all of those kind of were accounting for the strengths of the other team, right? And just trying to nullify that against Netherlands. Obviously, it's, it's the wing backs they were trying to solve for Croatia. It's that great midfield that they had. Um, and then in... This game, it was kind of ex- exploiting the fact that that Jules Kunde was playing at, at right back, and I mean he's not a right back, so like that's kind of the the big thing there. Um, as well as you know, Usman Dembele is not going to help that much in the defensive side of it. Um, well, I think just they just kind of exploited that wing before you go any further because you're talking about two Barcelona players. So I must mention this. Um, 
I think a big part <laughs> of what Scaloni was trying to do with Di Maria on the left actually had more to do with Dembele than it had to do with Koundé. And I think it was largely in part to force Dembele to track back, right? It's not something that he often does because he is so, so fast going forward and he can one-on-one -on -one beat almost anyone in the world. But forcing Di Maria to be, well, not forcing him, but allowing him to be a free outlet on the left means that Usman Dembele had to come back and he couldn't be as much of a threat down that right-hand side. And he clearly gave, he gave away the penalty, uh, th that first penalty uh, in the first half because he was forced to track back. And I think the, the knock-on effect to that as well was because the ball was dominated by Argentina's midfield and largely stayed on the left-hand side, guess who didn't get the ball for France? Mbappe all the way on the complete other side yeah. of the field, like as far away as possible from Di Maria as he could have. I think that that was that worked really, really well, and I didn't expect it to work that well. Um, so that's that's definitely one aspect yeah. that like Di Maria starting on the left was huge. No, no, that point and that last point was something that I, I didn't even consider until I, I was listening to uh, it was uh, the tactics podcast, like the athletics tactics podcast. Um, and they that when so I can't remember which of the um, presenters brought it up, but I thought that was really interesting. It's something I didn't consider before, like the fact that keeping the ball on that side, like the knockout effect of of you know now if the ball is lost on that side, it's harder to to then switch the field, or it just takes longer to switch the field out to to Mbappe, so that they just can't do it as quickly, and you kind of saw that in the fact that he only had like 11 touches in the first half is, is, um, is what I read. And yeah, he, he was more or less in invisible within that first half, like not blame it on him. The fact they couldn't, they couldn't get the ball much and it's not his fault that their midfield was getting um, completely overrun. And there was so much space for Messi when he dropped in for McAllister. A lot of the times I, I will say, like this is this is not this is not like to say that he's anywhere on Messi's level, but there was so many times in this game where McAllister made his first touch, and you, I just couldn't. I thought it was Messi for a second because they're like the same, <laughs> the same height. The hair is very similar, and, and they might have even been wearing the same boots. Like I, there was so many times this game where I was, where I, I thought that it was Messi that had the ball for a second, but it was McAllister. Um, and and honestly, like, to his credit, he he was fantastic in that game anyway. So like he he made a, a few great dribbles himself. So um, not not to say that that he. <laughs> That he's not a great, that he wasn't great and not a great player in his own. No, I know, um, I know. Accord. Um, what what I'm hearing you say though is on that second goal because that see, that passing sequence went Messi, McAllister, Di Maria. So what you saw was Messi passing to Messi, passing to Di Maria. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> I saw McAllister passing to, uh, <laughs> to to Alvarez, and then Messi making the run in behind and getting this. Yeah, yeah. And you must have been like, "Wow, Messi got pace at 35." I don't know where that came from. All of a sudden. That's wild. <laughs> I'm dead. That's really funny. Oh, um, but I do actually. But see I what mean, you're uh, we we can we can we can get if we, if we don't if we want to start talking about the first goal first. It's something really. I just have something really interesting to talk about the the second goal. But um, with the first one itself, like as you said, that there's that instance where Dembele has to come back 
and um he's left one-on-one with team maria and you know he saw that anyone who's watching that anyone who's watched team maria play in his like in his life anyone who's watched uzman dembele and in general perhaps never seen Usman Dembele in that position ever before. <laughs> I know it's definitely not the first time, but I think most people would have been surprised that he was even there. I was um, surprised. I, you saw that matchup, and the first thing you're thinking, like, man, DiMaria in his head, he must have just seen meat, meat, meat. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, it, was, it was just, it was like, that was going only one way. I didn't, I didn't think that, I didn't wasn't sure if Dembele was gonna foul him in the box, but I knew that he was gonna at least get past him. Yeah, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's really funny. He was, I mean, and he did time and time again, right? Like that wasn't even the first time that he did get past him. There was another time where he tried to get between him and Jules Kunde and Di Maria. The ball went out for a goal or a throw in. Um, There's one other time where he did get past him. Um, and nearly, I think he played it square uh, outside the box. Just, it was a rough day for Dembele. And you saw that quite literally when he was pulled off pulled off in the 40th minute of the game, along with Olivier Giroud, which I am assuming that was more injury slash virus related, the Giroud yeah, substitution. I, I, I thought I read that he was, he was carrying a knock into that game. Yeah, something along those lines. Because, I mean, look. Drew didn't do anything other than a botched header in that entire first half as well. So like it, it may have been tactical on top of that, but quite honestly, that, that first yeah. half, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think that first half was probably one of the there worst. There was no service. There was no service to them. Not even close, not even close. Um, and the zero shots and zero, zero shots on target, the entire first half of France I don't think, again, were a coincidence. I think Argentina were that good. And the services to, again, getting the ball to Mbappe, getting the ball to Giroud. Argentina won every second ball in the in the first half. I don't know if that's statistically correct, but they won at that's least what 75%. Surprised, that's, one, that's what surprised me the most, honestly. And uh, the second balls, for sure, and the amount of 50-50s, like the amount of duels yeah. that that France lost um, was very surprising. And, 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 you know, I felt like Griezmann tried his best too to come back and help out at times as he's been doing for pretty much the entire tournament. But this is probably the only, the only relatively poor game that he had in the entire tournament. It sucks that it had yeah. it came on the final. Cause I thought, I, I thought he's been really good this entire tournament. Um, no, I agree. Playing as like that third center mid. So, um, really tough on him, and I mean Dembele was really poor with like, defending aside. He was really poor whenever he when he did get the ball. Uh, so that one felt definitely tactical slash maybe just like he was playing poorly. But um, yeah, just just to talk about like that that was so dominant from Argentina. Like there is part of me that thinks you know whatever was going through at least a few of the French players. Uh, in that before that game, probably had something to do with with how flat they looked. But on on top of that, you know, Argentina looked played really, really well. It wasn't necessarily that like you know there was just 
it was just so easy. Like they didn't make it. They didn't have to play well to have those two goals, right? No, they played really well. Like they they linked play so well. Um, that second goal is just a thing of beauty. Like, like and and the thing that I really thought about from it, like you know, once I did realize it, it was McAllister um, who actually got through and made that assist. Uh, it was that run that he made, you see it. I, I, as someone who's watched a lot of Brighton in the past, you've seen that, that third man run is been such a staple of, of Brighton teams in the, um, under Potter. And, and we've still been seeing it under Deserby since he's come in that run that, that McAllister makes. It's, it's just another, another feather in the hat for like the, the, how effective the third man can be in those in those situations like that run that he makes there because there's no reason for it's really hard to account for that for, on the defending side when you well, have those, uh, when you have those it, two players it play, is, play it one is time. hard but at the same time i think that was genuinely like something that argentina coached in preparation for this game because there were a lot of third man runs that they were playing off of in basically the whole knockouts, but specifically why I think it worked against France is because Griezmann gets caught out going forward a lot and he vacates, whether it's that right or left-hand half space a lot. And the weakness there for France is running in behind Griezmann when he vacates the, the space behind him, essentially. And that's literally, as we kind of transition to that second goal that you, you wanted to talk about, like, that's literally how that second goal was created. It was from Griezmann and any combination of France's midfield pushing up slightly higher than they should have, right? Granted, a lot of it was coming from a set piece, and it's a counterattack, and I get that. But... It, the, the point still stands that the spaces were not filled the way that they should have been. And with McAllister making that third man run and Messi basically, again, playing that open passes, Julian Alvarez all the way through um, to McAllister. Like, I think that was a very deliberate setup. Like those runs were I, like, it felt like pre-coordinated. I don't know how else to phrase well, it. Well, let's go back even further. Let's go back like even further than that in the move. The, the ball gets, played up kind of like a hoofed ball towards the one of the French center backs. It might've been Upa Meccano. Um And he's hurried by Alvarez who's pressing, not just in this game, but in every game has been ridiculous. Like he, the, he just keeps running and it's, it's insane. The, the player that he could, the potential that he has um, we've seen, the finishing ability and like his movement in the box has been really good in this tournament. Um, but that kind of constant pressure that he puts on defenders, like his pressing forced, I think it was Upa Meccano to play the ball, just hoof it back to, towards, um, towards Argentina's back line just to get rid of it. And then I think that's that first pass might've been Romero. Uh, and then from there, it's all one touch passing and, and it's, partially on the left side on the right side for Argentina um you also have Mbappe who's not going to come and track back although I, although I think in this case it was just like things moved too quickly they were already in the opposition box so it would have been kind of crazy to expect him to be back there and helping out with Alvarez but 
then once the ball gets to to McAllister and again the the head on him to play that first time to like for for a second I thought he might take a touch first and then look to play it to to Di Maria because uh, that's what so many players do in that moment and then that kind of half second that you lose from taking the touch and the defender just getting another yard maybe and be in position to block that that cross like playing it first time was brilliant and and he played it perfectly in stride as well for for Di Maria and you look at the replays of it that's when you first saw it, it, it you thought it was like just like a simple finish um and I just kind of played into the open net but like Lloris had it covered it was the only way to score that was to do what Di Maria did, which was to like bounce it, it was to chip it over, really to chip it over um, Lloris. And the way that he did it was was really <laughs> exceptional, where he hits it into the ground. Um, something that we've seen guys like Ozil do before, and um, I can remember a Hazard goal against, uh, that that he also did the same. So it, it was just a beautiful goal from back to front, and like one of my favorite goals of the tournament. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, hands down, and. I think that was the moment where for a lot of Argentina supporters, a lot of Argentina fans and certain, certainly Argentinians, um, it became a little real. Like the possibility of winning this world cup became a little real because Argentina were dominant. Like we mentioned throughout that first half, but even heading into halftime and after halftime, I partially expected this game to flip a little bit. I expected France to, come out of their shell a little bit more because they had to. I expected more pressure and more pressing from, from Mbappe, which we did see a little bit of. Argentina were pinned back when they did have possession in the first 15 minutes of that second half, but France still didn't register a shot until after Di Maria had gone yeah. off. And I think that's a really telling statistic because once that threat down the left-hand side, like I mentioned when we started recording, went away – that ability for I forget who came on for Dembele specifically, um, but the ability for the ball to go from right uh, to Colo left. Muani. Yes, thank you. Um, the ability for the ball to go from right to left became a lot easier, and Mbappe went from having eleven touches in that first half to did he double it in the second half? I mean, it, it must have been significantly more. Um, so that that I think was not a coincidence at all taking Di Maria off. I will say up until that point though, Argentina still, I mean, still dominated. It, it, France completely had their first dominant, shot. What, the completely dominant. Yeah. It, uh, I think it was just, I think it might've been the 71st or 72nd even. Sure. I know that like through 70, they didn't have a shot. Um, yeah, that's the, <laughs> That's kind of the really interesting thing about what like the narrative of this game, and I think I think a lot of people would agree. Like they were, com- Argentina were completely dominant for s- pretty much eighty minutes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, thirty minutes into that second half, it was still kind of hard to see how France were going to get back into this game, other than and like and literally the only thing that I could that I was thinking could happen was just like moments. Right, like um, our friend Peter texted me at halftime saying, "So this one's saying like this one's pretty do- much done, right?" And I was just <laughs> like, "I can never say that." <laughs> yeah, like I don't know how anyone, how anyone, like specifically in this year's Champions League or, or last season's Champions League, I should say, 
could have watched that Real Madrid run and think that any <laughs> game in any knockout <laughs> tournament is done at any point. Yeah. Like I was, I was like, I learned my lesson from that, <laughs> from that tournament. There's no reason to ever think that a game is done <laughs> when it's not. like when we're talking about knockout. I, um, I will say, um, but I, I, think, I, I learned that lesson. I think yeah. during the. Uh, the Barcelona PSG game, as you know, I think I've talked about that enough, but that was when I learned that oh, yes. and even during halftime. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Said, like, that... it's not over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like, like I said, and what brought them back into it was moments. Like, the first one, that, that goal comes off of a throw-in that I think it was an Argentina throw-in, and the ball turns over, and it's just like a hoofed ball from Mbappe forward. And and maybe the one criticism is potentially maybe maybe Argentina doesn't have enough players back, or maybe their their midfields are not sitting back a bit more with the with the league. But um, Mbappe just kind of plays it into space for Muani to run onto, and. Otamendi has a chance to just clear the ball and for whatever reason he like hesitates on it and Moana gets the gets the touch and then you know Otamendi as he has before his career he let the intrusive thoughts win and just couldn't <laughs> help himself <laughs> just couldn't help himself and, oh my God. and like from a position of complete control for Argentina honestly that moment is even like, Muani's not in the center of goal. Like he is still far off to the left of the penalty area. He's still going to have to do a lot to score from from that position. And Otamendi just couldn't help himself. And from there, we get ninety seconds of just individual brilliance from yeah. Mbappe, where. He scores the penalty, just puts so much power on it, and and it's just just too much for for Martinez to to save. Like he goes the right way, and as we'll see, as we saw in this game, he went the right way on on both of the um, penalties in regulation for for Mbappe, and just couldn't get the uh, power. Oh no, sorry, two of the well, three. Well, he went but not, two not two of the three, in, yeah. not both in regulation. Yeah, yeah, goes the right way and just couldn't get just too much power on it so brilliant and then you know from there obviously like as as someone who's sitting and watching it you're just like oh man it's just a mo-. like again they're now another moment just like a moment of brilliance away from this game being tied and 60 seconds later 97 um, seconds to be exact oh man it's just unbelievable like you start it starts off, and this is the, this is what pisses me off about camera angles. Sometimes directors in these games, you know, it like Argentina has the ball fairly comfortably, and Messi picks it up, and the camera just zooms right into Messi, and you see him kind of scanning around to see if anyone near him, anyone behind me, and then for a couple seconds where he's not looking around. Coman just darts into the, like, from the right of the camera and, you know, 
as someone's watching you, like, I have no clue where the hell he's come from. <laughs> um, and, and it's really just great backtracking from, from Coman and to, yeah. to come and win the ball off Messi. And that starts the chain reaction. Um, the ball gets eventually to Rabio, who plays it to Mbappe. And when he played the pass as well, I was like, Oh my gosh, you played it, you played it to his head, you idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> why'd you not play it to his feet? And, and, you know, and Mbappe handled it perfectly. And, um, him along with, with Taram played in the ball back. And in that moment, most players take a touch because there was enough time and space to take a touch and then go in and play the, and, and get a shot off. No, <laughs> he decides I'm just going to hit this first time, slightly off balance, but still a rocket. I mean, not quite perfectly in the corner, but again, so much pace on it that, you know, um, and Martin's not able to fully keep it out. He gets a fi- like fingers on it, but just like that, we're 2-2 and, and just, and I I was sitting in my girlfriend's apartment uh, watching. Up until this point, I was watching it alone. Um, she joined in in, the, in extra time and penalties, but I just I just said, "Wow!" When he, when he hit that, and I, I, I what else can you say? Like the 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 guy comes out of this tournament. I know we're going to talk about legacy a bit um, later, but guy comes out of this tournament in just like, his status just raised to another level and he is the only reason that that game made it to extra time and then he was the only reason that the game made it to extra time or sorry to penalties so it was just just brilliance and and i just kind of sat back and was like this is unbelievable he's well he is just he's just carrying fully carried them in this in this game and um to go from periods of not really touching the ball much to have the focus and of course the quality to just be like, I just need a moment. I just need a moment. And he got two of them in a <laughs> hundred seconds <laughs> and executed them perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was only this, I guess he was the first person uh, your first male player, I should say, that scored two goals uh, in a World Cup final since uh, R9, Ronaldo, uh, did for Brazil uh, against Germany in the 2002 final. And then, obviously, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but obviously the second person to do that was Lionel Messi <laughs> later on in this game, <laughs> closer towards the, the end uh, in the second period of extra time. But even before this game went into to extra time at 2-2, I think France did get on the front foot a little bit more, but then Messi in the 97th minute hit a shot that if it had beat Lloris, the world would have burned. And I, like, I legitimately probably <laughs> still was, not have yeah. this. If it, oh my God. It was, <laughs> and it was hit with such, like, aggression. Like, in the same way that Mbappe hit his second yeah. goal... Messi hit his shot at Lloris and it was swerving and bending and moving. And I'm telling if that went in, we, we're going to talk about legacy and there's already legacy cemented, but that would have just been fairy tale stuff. 
Yeah, no, that that <laughs> it just was hit with so much power. <laughs> wow, it just you just needed it to to swerve to Loris's right and into the corner. That was it, it. The thought I had about it was like, man, if that was like that that goal he scored against PSG a couple years ago, um, from like thirty out where he hit it from like the center of the goal and it just swerved straight like to the left like into the corner. Um, that was the type, that was the movement that he needed to score on that one. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, we get to we get through the ninety. We get through extra like into extra time, and Argentina are still playing better. Um, and it's a beautiful uh, like a, another great a great goal. Uh, I mean, scrappy with the last touch of the goal, but like a, a great like, team goal. Um, for Argentina's third, where I can't remember who plays the ball up, but you know, Lautaro comes in great for great, great, great first touch to play it directly into stride for Messi, um, who plays it to Enzo Fernandez, who was again immaculate in this game. I mean, another guy whose reputation from this tournament and you know, stats. Stats nerds been looking at his time at Benfica extremely impressed too. So it's not like this is coming out of nowhere. And can and I just say something for about River Enzo Plate in Argentina as well? Yeah, I, I just yeah. I want to say Enzo Fernandez could have been bought by any club in the world for 18 million euros earlier this year or over the summer, I believe. And Benfica were the only one that picked him up and. He played in a World Cup final and had the most successful passes with 77 and the most tackles with 10, that, which is, it surpasses Rodrigo DePaul, by the way, who was the most fouled person on the field and seemingly also committing the most tackles at the same time. It was bizarre. Um, <laughs> Enzo Fernandez was a standout young player of this tournament. Um, and I, I think the, technically that award can only go to someone who's 21 years old or younger and hence why Julian Alvarez I don't think was in the conversation, but I think this is like one of the most objective awards that was given this, this tournament. Like you could make a conversation or have a conversation or an argument about uh, Lovakovic, for example, of Croatia, maybe being worthy of the, the golden glove. Um, obviously most goals score the golden ball is objective as is maybe even some people would try and argue with Messi being, not the best player in the tournament somehow, but like Enzo Fernandez, man, he is like the perfect modern number six. He really, really is. That's all I wanted to say, but let's talk about, yes, yeah. the rest of those. I mean, he can play anyone and he can play any one of those midfield positions too. Like the amount of times we saw him get advanced in this tournament as well. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It, you know, you, you, you noted his, his release clause. It's just another, another thing that tells you, there's so much stupid stuff that goes on for, for like with transfers, with scouting, with with like. There's a lot of stupid shit that happens, and and it's just again like these teams with huge resources would rather spend eighty million on on someone who's seven years older or something like that, and and or or four years older, and is like. Man, eighty percent of the player that Enzo Fernandez is, but because he's played in the Champions League or played for a quote-unquote big club, oh, now it's now it's time for me to make that 
that <laughs> extremely uh, inefficient move for this player. And, 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 you know, when he gets bought for a hundred million in about a year, so some team will feel like they're, they're, they've done great, but they're fucking idiots because <laughs> they didn't do any work for this. And, and like, whatever it's, it's, it's one of those things that just always sticks in my craw about like the, the way that the, the transfer market for clubs with a lot of money, they just are idiots most of the time. But anyway, correct. Um, <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, yeah, that, that goal was, that goal was great. <laughs> that goal was great. Um, <laughs> he, he played a pass like perfectly in stride for, um, for Lautaro who, you know, of course I thought that, Hey, maybe he was square this across the box for either one of Messi or Fernandez to put it in. But, um, no, his shot just cannons off of Lloris's face and perfectly into stride for, for Messi. And, um, and you thought that was the moment. Again, I was like, I'm hoping this is the moment, but <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't have been less surprised when that penalty was called, when that penalty happened. I couldn't be less surprised. I was just like, of course, of course, it's, it's this, this can't end normally. It not only God, it not only couldn't end normally. It was of course Gonzalo Montiel, the player that came on for Molina in this game, who was both both did not have amazing games, but Montiel seemingly let so many changes of possessions occur. And he was the one who gave away the handball by inexplicably raising his elbow like he was doing the chicken dance in the penalty box because that's what you do in a World Cup (laughs) final. And, of course, in the 118th minute, Kylian Mbappe goes on to score, and we'll get to the penalties, but that came full circle for sure. So, once again, it's 3-3, it's the 118th minute, and I think I took a picture of this uh, after or during penalties for you but I sent you a picture of my Apple watch and it had my heart rate and it ran yeah. 140 <laughs> beats per minute at that point, which was like consistent between right before the penalty started and the end of them. It was an insane game. And then, Oh, did we even mention that Lautaro went on to miss an incredible header right after that? And Oh, France also had oh a my chance gosh. to I mean, this... win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, the, that um, penalty, to tie it at three three goes in at one at 118 and then we still have like two minutes of insanity um <laughs> where where i don't even understand how the i think it was muani that that had the chance um i think it might have been otamendi again where the ball just like is played hopeful ball played behind and he just kind of whiffs at the clearance just completely whiffs and takes himself out and it's just <laughs> Luani one-on-one looks, looks cool with, though with uh <laughs> with i mean yeah <laughs> but Muani's one-on-one with um emmy martinez and it's just it's a great save yeah uh, mbappe i'm sure is upset that he, that Muani didn't score didn't square it for him but you know, it's. I think that's perfectly reasonable to take a shot from there, considering that he had no clue how much time was left in the game. And it's like, you know, what's he going to do like, with 60 seconds left? And then, um, as you said, Argentina goes down the other end, and a great ball played into Lautaro, and 
<laughs> just like at this point, I texted in the, in the in our group chat that I was like, "I'm gonna go fight Lotaro, no matter how this ends," <laughs> because he just completely. I was first of all, I was like, "There's," I was just like screams like, "No!" when it he, he just went wide, and I was. I was just set over the edge when they show the replay, and he just has completely misheaded <laughs> it, and, and it's hit like the top of his forehead instead of the side of his head. And I was like, "That's this is impossible." Correct. But, oh man. Um, uh, yeah, it seemed harder to do what he did than the alternative. But <laughs> either way, we get to, we get the penalties, and you know that man. Well, first, first off, Mbappe and and Messi, they both show up. Of course, like you, you no question. I'm I'm so happy that it ended for like at least for the two of them that their last kicks were goals because that was like that was the most fitting way for their last kicks of this game to to go because I, I think they deserve that. Um, and from there, it's just Emmy Martinez show, and we've seen it time and time again. He's, <laughs> He's one of the best penalty keepers in the in the world. Like, I mean, I can't think of anyone else right now. Uh, I mean, Allison's usually pretty good, but we, you know, we saw that didn't go as well with Croatia against Croatia. But um, just the antics, um, <laughs> the 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 obvious homework that he does. I I do I don't want to play down that part of it at all, too, because like. Uh, everything else is like hilarious, of course, and, and that's like fun for the cameras. But it's it's so obvious that he does a lot of work, a lot of homework on where these players are going. You don't guess right as much as he does, just by like pure intuition. Like that that's just that's just not how it goes. Like he guessed right on for Killian on two of the three penalties, and Killian went the the same way on all three of them. Yeah, yeah. No, it, so, it, it was just, genuinely just like, impressive. Unbelievable. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say on Emmy Martinez is that it's very clear that he does his homework and the optics are hilarious and like his shenanigans are outrageous. But I think there there is a thread on Twitter that I saw, and I have to do some more homework into this, but it was around the psychology of penalties and what's important about it. And I don't know if you noticed this, but... I don't think I noticed until after the game, he got a yellow card during the penalty kicks and it was for throwing oh, the no, ball away when Chuameni was about to go up and he afterwards he missed the penalty, but Chuameni had walked up to the, the penalty spot. I mean, Martinez had the ball threw the ball away, got a yellow card and then Chuameni missed the penalty. And it, there's obviously a whole psychological conversation you can have there, but Emmy Martinez is really, really proving himself to be a difficult penalty kick um, goalie to to try and score against. And Argentina in general have an incredible record in penalty shootouts in knockout competitions. Uh, I think it's like six out of the seven or five out of the six last penalty shootouts that they've faced, they have won. Um, so the statistics Rian, around the 75% of penalty shootout uh, winners are the ones who go first were defied twice by Argentina in this tournament, once against the Netherlands and once in the final against France. So, so stats can go out the window, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. No, it was, it was um, at the end, like, like you said, we came full circle with Montiel scoring the winning 
goal. And, um, and I was really happy for it because, yeah, that handball was, was quite ridiculous and, and, uh, <laughs> happy that he was able to atone for it. And just like that, you know, we have an unbelievable final and, and definitely the best World Cup final I've ever watched. Definitely the best final in any tournament I've ever watched. As I said at the top of, um, this episode, you know, best game in any sport that I feel like I've ever watched. And, and I, it, it's, uh, really going to remember that forever. Like uh, unbelievable, like two hours, two and a half hours. And, yeah. um, I don't know. Like I, I, I think for me, like what, what makes this so great was obviously like Messi kind of completing his own odyssey and, and completing the, the, his individual journey of, of trying to, to win the world cup and having won everything else before this won the Copa America last year. And, um, just kind of finishing this checklist of, as a, as a player, him reaching that mountaintop. Great. Unbelievable. Like really cool. Happy. I got to, to witness that. And I was like, like, almost as happy that at the same time, Kylian Mbappe scores a hat trick first, I think youngest since I think it was Jeff Hurst um, for England back in yeah. 66. Uh, and maybe, and I think the, also the, I could be wrong. Also the only, he's also the only other, other player that scored a hat trick in a world cup um, final to see him also elevate and for us to be able to say, wow, he's that guy. He, he really is a, on his way to be an all time great player. And he has this all time great performance. Like no one gets to say to him that, Oh, well you, you flopped in that, in this, in this world <laughs> cup, in that world cup final, like, Oh, you didn't show up or whatever. Like no one gets to yeah. say shit to him about, about that. Um, and in the same way that no one gets to say shit to Messi about anything anymore, right? And those, and just to have to watch a game where there's two players, like one who's already who's at the end and and is trying to complete something, another one who's just trying, who's you know trying to cement himself and like continue, and, and he hasn't cemented himself yet. I know, and even though it feels like he's really close, <laughs> but uh, it, it's trying to build that resume to say I'm one of the greatest players ever and to to meet the moment which so many players don't and it's and it's and you know it's hard to do in this sport it's a team sport at the end of the day right but um he met the moment like individually and to see that happen on the other side of it from just a, a player who's younger and, and coming up and to and likely is pr- probably now the best player in in his generation like like he's that that's he cemented that at least for right now um that is what kind of brought it all together for me it was like wow we got to see two great players play great and really feel like they get to they got to the end of the the game and feel like neither of them could have done any more to influence the result and and um that plus obviously the stakes of it was just what kind of brought me away from um, after watching that, being like, "This is truly the the 
best thing I've ever seen, like from a sporting point of view. It was, it was beautiful. I, and I think you said that so, so well. Walking away from that game, yes, I may have needed a Xanax, but I walked away knowing that both of these teams, <laughs> and more importantly, both, both of these players in Messi and Mbappe did everything possible, like you said, to win this game. And yes, obviously one has to lose. That's how finals work. But in a lot of ways, you can not, there's, I don't think there's any world where you can argue that this loss is on Mbappe. Like there's no way that you can argue that that's the case. And, and simultaneously, whereas in the past, people have always argued, oh, this loss, this final loss is on Messi. I don't think you can argue that even this entire win of the World Cup final was all down to him. Larger parts of it were, but at the same time, was Messi the best player on the field? Debatable. Debatable during the game. He was he was top two. <laughs> he was, but <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's up for debate, I think. Um, so I, I love the take that, that you had. I'm glad he at least won the golden boot in some way, Kylian Mbappe. Eight goals, most out of men's World Cup since, again, Ronaldo in 2002. He created, I think, one of the craziest things that he did is he was the player with the best differential between goal scored and expected goals, which was, I believe, uh, <laughs> 2.74 was the differential. So that means he created an XG of 5.26 and scored eight goals, mm. which is nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. And that and, is something and, that... And, and sorry sorry to, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Uh, like just, just to get right to the goals. He's at, I believe, 12 goals. 12 World Cup goals. World Cup now. goals, yeah. The record is 15 for Miroslav Klose, and he didn't break that until he was like 34 in the 2014 <laughs> World Cup. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can, you know, injuries aside, we can probably expect at least two more World Cups for Mbappe, and it's just spanning the 48 teams as is. So, there's, so there's, he's going to play at least potentially like one to two more games than anyone else ever would have been able to play in a tournament. Um, He's gonna break that record. Yeah, I mean, we might as well start putting money on him breaking it in um in in twenty twenty six. Yeah, yeah, no, I one hundred percent agree. It's you're you're watching the growth of what could be one of the world's best players if he isn't already, but potentially for his own legacy in French football. Oh, I mean, definitely already, and, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. We're talking about all time. That's the only question. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, Rian, last thing on legacy: where does this now rank for you in terms of Messi's legacy? In terms of Argentina's legacy, a back-to-back -back win with a Copa America and a World Cup is is everything Argentina and, and Messi ever wanted. At the same time, like it, he performed, he performed like Mbappe throughout these tournaments. Like it, it it's, I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have any words left to describe and I, and I wanted to tweet this out before the game, by the way, I'll say this now, but I didn't, I was basically going to tweet. I don't like the world cup final doesn't actually matter. Like it matters in the context for Argentina. And if you're an Argentina fan and you know, of course, but in terms of Messi's legacy, it doesn't actually matter because the story after this game is going to be Messi took this team to 
what, six finals now? And whether he won this specific one or not, that in and of itself, if you're talking about any other player on earth, that's pretty damn impressive. And this time, of course, he got it done with a little bit of help, but give me another team that did not require, even Maradona's 86 team had a pretty good midfield and he had a supporting cast of some sort. So I guess I'll go, I'll go back to my question. Where does this kind of, does this cement Messi's legacy for you? Or was this just something for Argentina and for Twitter, I guess? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think I agree with you. Like the, the actual result of this game wouldn't have changed anything about about Messi for me like unless he unless he was just terrible in the game unless he was like otherworldly like bad for his for for anyone's standards even his like but no this doesn't change much I still think that I I like in these like goat conversations I kind of shy away from from them because I I really feel like I can only speak about players I've ever seen. Like I, I I did not watch Pele. Pele played in an era where he basically wasn't even allowed to leave the country to play in Europe (laughs) unless he was playing with the national team. So that wasn't really an option for him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maradona, um, obviously he did play in Europe. He Played for Barcelona briefly, but you know, the, like the Mar- Maradona's brain deserves to be like in a natural history museum because the the way that he was able to get so much out of his career by being a complete and being a complete lunatic on top of it um, is is impressive in its own. But again, he played in a different era as well, um, and. Just speaking about players I've ever watched, I can safely say that no matter how this game ended, Lionel Messi was is the best player I've ever watched. Like like the best soccer player I've ever seen in my life. And it's and as I said like earlier, no one can say shit about him. No one can say anything now anymore. And and if people want to use that to, to cement him as the best player ever in the history of the sport, then I say fair enough. Like you could, like if you if you want to do that, like that's fair. I'm not. I don't know if that should be the only reason that we say this because for the reasons I described earlier with the different eras and and you know how the the club landscape was different. Uh, but again, like to play in the play in the final, not just play in it, right? To play well to score, to be, <laughs> if only not the best player on the field for that day because there was a 23-year-old phenomenon who is who feels like he's on track to be at like one of the 10 best players in the sport's history. Um, to say that, that you were possibly only outplayed by that player uh, and score at every chance you, you really had and... and end up winning the tournament like to reach expectations is like the is is the unbelievable thing when you're already that good um and kind of reminds me a bit of like uh lebron when he finally won 
with Cleveland, where it was like, wow, full circle. Expectations were astronomical, and you met them and actually exceeded them on a lot of occasions. And this was like the coronation, and that's what it was for LeBron at that point. The court, this was a coronation for Messi. Uh, and when you think about it, like he's only ever had one peer in in his career, and he's done what his one peer could not do. Um, and that's not just like winning a World Cup final, that's like making it and also playing well throughout the entire tournament and uh, getting better with age. <laughs> like also something uh, that I that I would say that Messi and LeBron have, have in common. Like you're such a good player at the sport. You're such a genius in your, in your own sport that actually like, getting older doesn't mean you get worse. It actually just means that you your role changes and you just become the best in that new role. And so, yeah, to, to, to bring this all to a full point, full stop. Um, yeah, it changes nothing. He's, he's the best player I've ever seen in my life. Those are, those are beautiful words. And, uh, I'm going to clip that and just take it everywhere I go basically. So thank you for that. Um, with that, <laughs> Rian, I think that kind of wraps it up on the final, at least, we can talk about some outstanding players uh, throughout the tournament. I mean, the, the final certainly is what it was. Incredible. One of the best games I've ever seen laid witness to. But were there any standout players that you want to recognize and talk about that really kind of set your expectations for them higher after this tournament? Yeah, I mean, we have to be talking about Enzo Fernandez. Um, McAllister was was fantastic <laughs> this entire tournament as well. Um, yeah, I the the sad thing about Germany going out at the group stage was that we didn't get to watch Jamal Musiala play more because, man, I, I I've seen him play at Bayern and, and do some of this stuff before, but I think like in an international um, tournament, there's kind of more room for that, you know, off the cuff improvisation just because of the nature of international soccer is just just far less organized than than club. Um and he was fantastic and and I, I wish we got to see him play more. Um and you know outside of that I I feel like I feel like Portugal and England probably come out of this tournament feeling like there is a they, they kind of left something on the table there um England especially because they could have played they played well enough to to win against to to at least not lose in 90 minutes I'll put it that way they played well enough to at least not lose in 90 minutes <laughs> in the way that they did right and um they'll feel like they left something on the table but they come out of it I think still should be like top two or three favorites for the euros in two years and probably will be in top five of favorites in four years as well. And, um, and I think possibly the same for Portugal, like outside of, we saw how they played without Ronaldo for the most part, it was quite good. Um, but in general, like there's some really good young talent on, on Portugal. And I feel like they'll, be back in a couple years and be really, really good. It should be, should be one of the favorites um, in the Euros as well and in and, and four years. And um, overall, 
we really need to freeze out Felix. <laughs> just need to just he's just gotta get somewhere else. Um but yeah, those are those are probably my, my big standouts. And I, I, there's there's probably like four or five guys that I'm missing now. Like and and a good amount of them probably have come from Morocco who are fantastic. Uh but yeah, just just a really great played World Cup and brings me back to I actually I'm I'm coming back around. I should have stayed I should have stayed firm on it a while ago when I suggested this might be the best like one of the best played World Cups we've ever seen. The injuries kind of threw me off of it coming into <laughs> it, but by the end of this this was a fantastically played World Cup and and the quality of play was better than I think 2018 2018 had some really fun exciting games. Um but I think the quality of play was better in this World Cup. I think the quality of play was better, definitely better than 2014, definitely better than 2010. Um, yeah. This was a really, really well-played World Cup. Like, there was a lot of good quality. And I know that, that you know, there were there were teams like Morocco sat pretty deep, but, like, they didn't, well, they didn't even necessarily sit that deep. They were just very... They were really good on the counters, and like they Morocco played was well amazing in transition. Like, overall. Yeah. And and I thought that a lot of teams, yeah, I thought that a lot of teams tried to play more positively. Um, you know, I, I mean, France did what France does, and they pretty much, and, and you kind of saw in this game, they that that strategy really works when they get the first goal. When they don't, and they have to chase the game, it can look like it looked in that first. 70 minutes where you're just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> so um, I, 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 I just to say again, just to say, I think this was a fantastically played World Cup. And I do think that it had something to do with the fact that these guys were coming in mid-season and not fully legs off dead after a full season of 60-odd games and, yeah. and having to like get their fitness back um, in the summer. So uh, 100%. I, 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 overall come out of this like everything on the field fantastic everything off the field as as terrible as bad as we expected so yes yeah i couldn't couldn't agree more and i'll say this the best statistic to kind of represent how good the play was was that this was the world cup with the record highest most number of goals 172 across the entire tournament and i love it that i think speaks to just the attacking progressive free-flowing football that we saw played and i have a feeling rian we might as a result of all these games being packed into uh into the world cup we might see maybe the world's worst champions league final by the end of the season with how dead some of these top yeah. players are going to be yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point that's a really good point. These, these knockouts, the knockout stages for the Champions League might get really nasty. <laughs> I 100% agree. Um, I will I will wrap up the this episode at least with um, one one parting thought. We've given, given our flowers to Messi and Mbappe. We've given our, our flowers to – I would personally probably give them to Japan and Morocco. I thought played absolutely wonderfully. I thought they pressed and counter-pressed insanely well. Um, both of those teams kind of grabbed my heart. Uh, I just want to end on kind of a note that we didn't get it to talk about over the last couple of weeks, uh, just with nature of health stuff for us and um, work schedules and whatnot. But Rian, we haven't really mentioned the passing of Grant Wall 
and it's something that I've probably wanted to talk about for uh, a couple weeks now. Um, I think when I first like heard the news, like I was, my phone was away for a couple hours and like it was charging or whatever. And then I like looked down, there was like an ESPN notification that was like Grant Wallace passed away in Qatar. And I was like, are they testing a new system? Like I was like, I was genuinely like really confused as to what that news even meant. And I think I texted you right afterwards and you were like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing. Um, for, for us, and I don't want to speak too much for Rian, but I know I am partially here, but for us, Grant Wall was the staple of, I think, what we consider sports journalism and especially soccer and football journalism in this country. And he was probably one of the writers that I kept track of his opinions and just his overall thoughts on the game for a really, really long time. I think people have always talked about his Sports Illustrated days all the way to becoming an independent journalist himself um, and really building his brand and his career that way. But for me, he was a journalist that really represented all of the good in the world in a world that is at times somewhat dark and cold, but this sport gives us that pathway out as Rihanna's kind of alluded to for many, many, many years. Um, and so I just, I, in some ways, like it, it's, it's obviously very sad, but it's, it's always like therapeutic to, to do this and just kind of say thank you to him for, for being that kind of shining light in the sport, especially for, for America, for us soccer. Um, and I think you've kind of seen the outpouring of love and support, um, both for him, his writing, um, his wife. Um, so all of it just, yeah, that, that's something that I think hit us pretty hard, but we just haven't had a chance to, to mention. Yeah, no, that was, that was that was beautiful. I and I echo so many of those thoughts. Like for so long, he was the only, really the only American soccer journalist that I ever knew about. Like the the only one that I felt like was ever like carrying the the torch for the sport in, in this country. Um, and you know, I was just saying, like I was just listening like earlier this year to his uh, um his Freddie Adu podcast, which was beautiful, where he kind of did like a, a full, like, um, I think it was eight or so episodes about, you know, uh, Freddie Adu's rise and, and fall, of course. And it, he was just so, like, gracious in everything that you hear about him. Um, he was so forthcoming with, how much he championed the sport here, um, as well as championing just, you know, I, I want to say like, I want to say like, uh, you know, great causes, but just like human rights, <laughs> like, like, like just being a really good person. And, and he went to Qatar and, and was not shy at all to talk about what was really happening there when a lot of other news outlets when would not do that when specifically the broadcasting company that held the, the English rights in, in uh, America were doing the exact opposite of that and putting on garbs, putting on the, the traditional garbs of, of um, the Qataris and, and, and parading them around like this is a great place and, and parade around just, shameless marketing and just not to, to get off of the Fox. Um, Grant Wall himself 
really, really was saddened to to learn that he passed. And um, I, I was honestly like for the first like hours so after I read the news, I was just so, so like beat down. Like, and, and um, to hear at least that it, that it happened while he was doing the thing that he loved the most, which was covering the game. Um, that's, that's a touching thing. And, uh, I just feel it's a huge hole. It's a huge hole that, that we now have in, um, in terms of like American soccer journalism. Uh, there's, there's, there's way more of it now, mostly because of, of his great work. And so that's great to see. And, um, to think that we're going to have a world cup here in in the U S and he's not going to be a part of it. Uh, is devastating. Um, but, you know, like I said, his work throughout the early 2000s and mid 2010s is, um, the only reason, one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why this sport even is at the point where it feels like a genuine top sport in the U S um, now. And, and I think he has so much to do with that. And, uh, it's, it's very sad to hear that he passed and, um, yeah, just a great, just a, a great journalist. And, a, and from everything that you hear, a great person as well. So 100%, 100%. So thank you, Grant Wall for in some ways, in a lot of ways, inspiring us. Um, thank you all for listening, for watching wherever you may be tuning into the pod for, for this week's episode. And thank you just always for coming along on this journey with us. So we'll be back after the holidays when football in Europe returns, when we get back to our busy schedules, we'll be back very soon, but for now, happy holidays, enjoy it. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks guys. <laughs>